Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. Let me remind this church of something that we changed that we had practiced for a number of years and we stopped practicing it because the Bible told us that what we were doing was wrong. And that is foot washing. Among a few, very few, Baptists, they wash feet. After the Lord's Supper, the women would line up on one side of the church with rows of chairs facing each other and a basin under each chair, and they would sit down and wash each other's clean feet. And we would have a row of chairs for the men where the men would sit and face each other and there'd be a basin under each chair and we'd wash each other's clean feet. I mean, half the women went and got pedicures the day before. Everybody washed their feet more thoroughly on foot washing Sunday than at any other time. They were the cleanest feet in the history of the church. And we washed feet. We did it in attachment to the Lord's Supper because of the proximity of Jesus washing the apostles' feet and instituting the Lord's Supper in John chapter 13. We did that for a number of years. Then the Lord showed us this verse. 1 Timothy 5.10 Let me just read the verse, then tell you what it's here for in the Bible. Well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers... If she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. The verse starts and ends with good works, and some of those good works are listed in between. None of these things are church ordinances. None of these things are practiced by the church. This is a list. This is God's welfare system. In God's welfare system, when a man dies and leaves a widow, the church, that means if one of our widows is left and she is destitute and doesn't have a family to take care of her, the church takes care of her. And that means all of her expenses to to live. That doesn't mean just a $20 bill once a month. It means to, to, to provide her living. Right. That is God's welfare system. Right. But not every widow qualifies. Only certain widows qualify. And Paul here is telling Timothy the list of qualifications for New Testament churches. And so here's the, quali- here's the qualifying list. It actually started in verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number. Into the number means widows that are supported by the church. Don't let a widow get into the number of being supported by the church under threescore years old. She's got to be 60 years of age. Having been the wife of one man, she loved one man in her lifetime. Well reported of for good works, then verse 10. These, this list here is to distinguish or differentiate certain widows from average widows, exceptional widows from average widows. Right. For instance, there's a, there's, an, there's a word used here, 
And it's important because we've used it in John about disciples. But it's in verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. And when it says honor widows, it doesn't mean to say yes ma'am or no ma'am to them. It means pay. It means to open the wallet and take care of them when it says honor here. Because verse 17 says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And that's not saying yes sir, sir. Or no, sir, sir, it's taking care of them financially. And so it's widows indeed being distinguished from just average widows. And what made a widow a widow indeed to distinguish her from being an average widow? This list. She's over 60. She's not 40. If she's 40, go get married. And it says so in this context. It says in verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women under 60 go get, go marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Let's say she was 25. Her husband was drafted, killed in a battle, and she's a 25-year-old widow. The church isn't going to support her. She's supposed to go get married. And so that it's all contained here. This list are practical things that this exceptional widow does that deserves the care of the church because she has shown exceptional Christianity. Not ordinary Christianity, but she's shown that she is exceptional. Verse 10, started with good works, it ends with good works, it talks about hospitality towards strangers, she's taken them into her own house, she's raised children well, she's washed the saints' feet. So, washing of feet here is an ordinary practice of society of that time in which you showed humility and care toward guests that were visiting you like the saints from the church. It wasn't a church ordinance. There's nothing here in this list about faith. There's nothing here in this list about baptism. If she's baptized, let her be in the number. Those are all assumed of all church members because faith, baptism, Lord's Supper, all those things are true of every church member. I don't want to preach about foot washing. It's ridiculous to think that it's a church ordinance. But the Lord, we didn't know that it was ridiculous. When you're deceived, you think that a lie is the truth. So we practiced our lie very zealously for a number of years. We didn't know it was a lie. I feel a little squeamish calling it a lie because we didn't know it was. But the Lord showed us the truth and we thank him for it. There isn't a doubt in my mind. I wouldn't have preached the church out of it if there was a doubt. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's such hypocrites that preach foot washing. They don't kiss each other the way they're supposed to. I don't know who told them that women are supposed to wash women's feet. I don't know where they got that idea. Why can't the men wash the women's feet and the women wash the men's feet? Why? Why? There's nothing in the Bible. The Bible says five times, that we are supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. Mm -hmm. The people that like to do a lot of this about foot washing, they don't go around kissing everyone. I don't know why. There's five times the evidence for that that as there is for foot washing. And you know what what we've chosen by the leading of the Lord? That both, both were social customs of that time. And so they should have done them because it was a social custom of that time to kiss and to wash dirty feet when strangers came to your house. Enough about that. You were talking about truth and error. We had an error. The Lord showed us the truth. We changed. You know, when a pastor gets in the pulpit and says, this is what I taught you. This is what I've taught you for years. 
It was wrong. Here's the truth. He gets in the pulpit scared. He studies hard. He prays. And he waits to see how many weak sheep there are going to be that can't handle the truth, that are emotionally attached to foot washing, that are traditionally attached to foot washing, that can't get over John 13, that look at 1 Timothy 5.10, and because they've looked at it one way for many years, all they can think is, is that is a woman sitting in a foot washing service instead of at a home washing some visitor's feet. And there's all those difficulties, but I commend this church. And I thank God for 1990 when I preached a couple of sermons of us getting out of foot washing and leaving it where it's supposed to be in the first century with dirty feet. Do you know how much we have on our feet right now? Everybody got clean feet in here? You know, you've got long socks on, good closed shoes on. We don't wash feet like they did back then. You walked in sandals and you were dirty if you went from the church to your car. Those men had been to the bath before they came to the Last Supper, but Jesus washed their feet because their feet were dirty coming from the bath to the Last Supper. That's why he washed their feet. They were dirty. It's such a joke to sit there and line up chairs and think that you're showing some act of humility. It's like giving Christmas gifts. Well, I'll give you a Who's on my Christmas list this year? I need to get everybody on there that gave me a gift last year. Well, we have very short Christmas lists in this church. <laughs> But, you know, it's a gift exchange. There's no love in a gift exchange. Love is in a spontaneous gift that is given without any obligation. And foot washing is when it, strangers, church members, would just come by to stop in and see you for a little while, and you got down and washed their feet, and they were dirty feet. Thank you, Lord, for 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10 and for showing us the truth about it. How about Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember how we used to be misled by that verse? Not in this church, but before this church, many of us were misled by it for decades, Hebrews 4.12. The Bible says in Galatians 5.4 that it is possible to fall from grace, but the Lord's shown us the truth about that verse. While there are many confused by that verse, we're not confused by that verse because the Lord took away our confusion, or we would be confused by that verse. It's hard to believe, though we read it this morning, it's hard that God deceives men, hardens men, blinds men. But the Bible says it all the way through. You have recently read about Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Did God harden his heart? Does it say it once, twice, thrice, over and over again? God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart so that he wouldn't let Israel go until God had brought ten plagues and then the death of the firstborn on that nation to get himself a name. He wasn't going to let it get cut short. He told Moses, I'm going to get all my plagues in. I'm not going to let him cut me short by sending Israel out early. And so the nation was destroyed. All the wealth was taken for back wages for Israel and it was leveled, and Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea, and the Lord said God hardened his heart to get him into the Red Sea. If you had experienced ten plagues, and then you got to the edge of the Red Sea, and the Israelites were running up there, and the water was, was piled up on both sides, would you take your chariot down into the Red Sea? I don't think so. You would say, God's killed my firstborn. 
He sent locusts. I had frogs in my bread. I had frogs in my bed. He's done all these things to me. I don't think I want to go down in the Red Sea. Pharaoh went right down to the Red Sea and his whole army went with him because God hardened their hearts to get himself a name by closing that water up over them. He has done it throughout the Word of God. Look at Joshua chapter 11 and verse 20. Brethren, I'm going to end at the hour. But let's go as quickly as we can. I want to remind you that the Bible teaches that God blinds and hides truth from men and deceives them, and it's, a, it's an axiom of the truth. An axiom of the truth is that God sends lies. You say, I can't believe that. It's in the Bible. Did we read it first thing in the first service, that God sends them strong delusion to believe a lie? Is that in the Bible? I'm going to sh- you know about Pharaoh. God hardened his heart. Here's Joshua chapter 11. Here's the context. Joshua... Moses has died. Joshua has led the nation of Israel across the Jordan River. They're now in the land of Canaan. They have to wipe out seven nations. They have to annihilate seven nations and take their cities as their own. Those nations deserve to be wiped out because they were committing the crimes that America is committing today. And that is why some preachers have said, if God does not judge America soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah and the nations of Canaan. Because of those sexual wickedness of those nations, God said, if the Israelites don't kill them, the land itself will vomit them out. That's what the Bible says. That's what God thinks of transgendering and homosexualing and the other abominations and perversions that now are acceptable in America that weren't when I was a child. Joshua 11.20 Now Joshua has come across the Jordan River. The Jordan River backed up so that the Israelites went across on dry ground. The first city they came to was Jericho. They went around Jericho a few times, marching their army, and the walls of the city fell down. If you were Canaanites, what would you do? I'd stay at home and get two deadbolts. Right? On my doors. And if I stayed at home with two deadbolts, then the Israelites are going to come and my walls are going to fall down. They're going to tear my house down. But Israel needed all those houses. So God needed to get all the Canaanites out of their houses to go out in an open field and do battle with his armies. That way, all the infrastructure is preserved. Do you understand all that? Here it is. Joshua 11, verse 20. For it was of the Lord. For it was of the Lord. Look at what verse 19 says. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all other they took in battle. That's the real issue. It's not two deadbolts. It's that you would have made peace. If you knew that this army could march around a city and the walls would fall down, would you make peace? Why didn't they? Well, here's the answer, verse 20. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor but that he might destroy them. Oh, that, that's redundant. It says it twice. As the Lord commanded Moses. You know it's not redundant. It's the Lord emphasizing a point. He's going to destroy them. And when people come to you on their knees, when people come to you on their knees and they're begging for their lives and you're in the military, it's hard to cut their heads off. But when they're coming at you with their swords drawn, it's easy to cut their heads off. And so God hardened their hearts to come against Israel in battle. 
These are examples in the Bible. If you want more examples, if you want all the examples, it's in an outline called the dominion of God. Because I like all the examples. I love every single one of them because it makes me thankful for truth because God could have hardened my heart against the truth of the gospel. He did for a time in my life so that I remember what it was like when I didn't care about God or his son Jesus Christ or my father or the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Lord. I love you for changing me. Keep changing me. Change everyone in here. Look at Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14. Let's see if God would deceive a prophet this time. Ezekiel chapter 14. This particular passage is Ezekiel the prophet warning Israel that they need to search their hearts and get rid of every idol in their hearts and every stumbling block of iniquity before their faces. Every pet sin especially in the way of idolatry that these Jews were practicing, they had better get rid of them because God is about to tell them what he's going to do when someone who's already made up their heart, well, I'm going to believe it this way. When a person says that inside, God has an answer for you. He's going to lie to you. If you have chosen to believe something in your heart that is different than his word, he is going to lie to you by your pastors, by your priests. It's just as we read from 2 Thessalonians. Why did God send them strong delusion to believe a lie? Because they received not the love of the truth. If you don't want the truth, he's going to give you what you must want, and that's a lie. If you don't want to do it his way, he'll give it to you in a lie. And so it says in Ezekiel 14, beginning at verse 6, I'm not going to read it, Except, let me get started in 6. These are long verses. It says, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. But they wanted to keep some of their idols. In verses 7 and 8, they are called the idols of their heart. Verse 8, God says, I will set my face against that man. We never want God to set an angry face against us. We want him smiling toward us. I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet be deceived, verse 9, if the prophet be deceived when he has spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. Do you believe the word of God? I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel, and they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. That's serious judgment when he deceives a prophet. But you'd already made a decision in your heart, I'm going to do it my way. You'd already made a decision before your face, I like the tradition we've had in our family, and I'm going to keep it up. I don't care what the prophets of God say. Don't ever say that. That's as stupid as the sailor that said in in, uh, England, I think it was Liverpool, as the Titanic set sail, even God couldn't sink that ship. Don't ever get on a ship where some sailor has said even God couldn't sink that ship because they thought it was called the unsinkable Titanic. It was very sinkable. 
It only made it a few miles, and it met a, a little tiny ice cube. And the engineer and builder of that ship was on board. They told him how many waterproof compartments had been ripped by that iceberg, and he told them to the minute when the ship would flounder. That means go down. It's an in he knew exactly how many minutes they had because he had played in a bathtub many, many times with a little Titanic and those waterproof compartments. And as the water went in one compartment and it got in enough compartments, it would tip the bow of that ship down enough that the water would get into the next watertight compartment because the walls were not tall enough and he knew to the minute when it would go down. Don't ever get in a, all of that. Don't, Lord, forgive me. It's idols in your heart. Those builders that made that ship had an idol in their heart that they had, met, they had made something really magnificent and you know that it was just a little canoe and you ripped it. You ripped a gash in its side and it went right to the bottom in two miles of cold North Atlantic water. You had less than two minutes to survive in that water. Look at Matthew chapter 11, the words of Jesus. It'll be in the red writing in your Bible. Oh Lord, there's so much that could be said. You know, it's been said. If you look at the bottom of this outline that will be posted shortly, you'll have a long list of other links to other sermons about truth and the beauty of it. The Lord's been so kind to us Amen. to show us truth. What if we believed a lie? And we may be believing a lie right now, but we don't know it yet. And that's why we pray the way that we pray. Lord, if we're believing, and I would pray again right now, Lord, if we're believing a lie on any subject right now, Show us that lie, and we will turn from it to embrace your truth. Lord, you know the rules of Bible study that you've taught us, and you know that we require a tsunami of evidence to change because you've told us to continue and to hold fast what we've been taught. But if you send a tsunami of evidence, we'll change anything to follow thee more perfectly. Don't ever let our attitude in this church be anything different than that, or we're going down. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, as he looked around, you know, the, 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 large, the large proportion of those that believed on Jesus Christ were prostitutes. They were publicans, tax collectors, against Israel for the Roman government, despised people the seminary-trained men, the priests, the Levites, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They didn't believe on Jesus. And Jesus looked at his audience of these poor, uneducated, vile sinners were the ones following him, and the well-dressed, well-mannered, publicly praying, showing off their fancy robes in public were the ones that didn't believe on him. Here's what he said about it. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Amen. This is Jesus noticing that it's prostitutes believing on him and being baptized. And he says, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank thee that thou hast hid the truth of the gospel from all these educated, seminary-trained men, and you reveal it to these babes. 
because it seemed good in thy sight. There is no other explanation except it was good in the sight of God to reveal truth to babes and not to the, those who thought they were wise. Right. Do you know which category we want to be in? Lord, we are your babes. We are your babes. We want to stay your babes, but we want to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What should we do about all this? We want to give thanks. We're not worthy of the least of all the truth that God's shown us. We want to be thankful to God for a, in a sense of debt for the truth he's shown. We want to beg God not to take his Holy Spirit away from us like David prayed in Psalm 51 because we need his Holy Spirit to show us the truth. We want to please this jealous God by always obeying him. He is jealous. He wants all of our love. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all. All thine heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength. And he, the Bible calls him jealous. His name is Jealous with a capital J in the Bible. And he rightfully so. He's God. We're his creatures. We ought to love him. He ought to be the first love of our life, the last love of our life, and the only love of our life. And so let's give him that love. Let's give him that devotion, lest he blind us. Right. He'll show us the truth the more we love him. Take heed how ye hear. Remember last Lord's Day, Luke 8 and verse 18, about the parable of the sower? Take heed how ye hear. If sins cause blindness, if sins cause delusion being sent, let's stop sinning. Desire to learn the precious truth that he's revealed to us. Let's have a desire for it. Let's crave truth. Let's crave knowledge and learning in God's word. Since it's wisdom that he's revealed to us. Let's pray for it. Let's tremble before him and his words in order to have him draw nigh to us. These are Bible expressions. We can never be ashamed of the truth or worry about men and what their opinions of us because the Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. If you're worried about peer pressure or if you're worried about what other people are going to think if you change, you don't love God. You're worried about them. We only want to fear God. Let all men call us nuts. As long as God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. Amen. We want to please him. We want to search the scriptures and prove that we have the truth. We want to humble ourselves before God like Solomon did. We want to have a holy motive for learning the truth. We want to obey everything that he shows us. We want to keep it. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. Do you know that you should pray for your pastor to rightly divide the word of truth? I live in terror my entire life. Even if I were to use a text to preach the truth, but it was a text that the Holy Spirit didn't give us for that point of truth, that's the first step of heresy. And I live in terror of that moment. I want us to always rightly divide every verse of Scripture, and if we can't rightly divide it thoroughly and completely with strong evidence, we'll leave it alone for now. We want to always have that attitude. Colin opened, up us, opened us up this morning in the back room with Proverbs chapter 22 about having the certain words of truth fitted in our lips so that we can give an answer to those that would ask us. We don't want to tell people, well, I think so. Well, it's been my experience. We want to tell people, this is what the Bible says. This is what God teaches in the Bible. We want to learn that so that we can answer. Your minister needs to be tenacious. Husbands need to lead their families. And we need to try the spirits, whether they are of God. 
We want to beg him for more truth. We want to check ourselves that we haven't turned away from the truth like this generation. And we've got to remember that heresies are coming so that they which are approved may be made manifest among us. God is going to bring up differences to see who really is going to follow his word. Remember, in Deuteronomy 13, it even says that sometimes God would let false prophets perform miracles in order to see if Israel would follow the miracle or the Bible. Which are we going to follow? A miracle or the Bible? The Bible. If, we're, if we have a division in the church and your best friend in the church leaves the church, are you going to follow your friend or the Bible? We make it the Word of God and He'll be with us. Stand with me.